Welcome to the School of Wellbeing podcast. I am your host, Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator, and coach. Together, we're going to explore lessons to help us live well. Let the learning begin. Hello, and welcome to episode 65 of the School of Wellbeing podcast. I'm Meg Durham, wellbeing speaker, educator and coach, and I support big-hearted educators to prioritise their wellbeing and to take courageous action despite the everyday pressures of school life. Because I believe you don't have to sacrifice your health, relationships and happiness to be a great teacher. It is possible to teach well and be well. Energy by Design is my game-changing wellbeing program for educators that are ready to reclaim their spark. Over four weeks, you have access to a space to connect, share, laugh and learn with others that get it and are inspired to take purposeful action in their lives. Join the waitlist to be the first to know when enrolments open for the next round. Are you able to clearly articulate your values? Do you know when you're living in alignment with your values? What stops you from stepping into your values? Discovering what matters most to you is more important now than ever before. When you know your values, you can make better decisions. When you know your values, it helps to anchor you when you're feeling pulled in 10 different directions. When you know your values, you stop trying to prove yourself and start choosing yourself. Today's guest, the brilliant clinical and coaching psychologist, Dr. Joe Mitchell, explains how our values are the blueprint for how we live our life. Joe is a director and co-founder of The Mind Room and is the first return guest to the podcast. In our first conversation, we discussed what burnout is and practical ways to move beyond it. If you're keen to learn more, you can go back and listen to episode 28. Joe has a passion for helping big-hearted humans like you to discover what lights you up so you can design your life with more meaning, purpose, and a deep sense of connection. In this conversation, we discuss what are values and how do they shape our lives? What does it mean to live in alignment with our values? How can we notice when we're living out of alignment with our values and so much more? I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dr. Joe Mitchell. Joe, welcome back to the School of Wellbeing podcast. Thank you so much for inviting me back, Meg. Today we're going to be talking about values, how we define them, how we live into them. Why do you think it's important that we have this conversation? I think that this is vital. This is kind of the blueprint for how we live our life and we're probably subconsciously a lot of us living our values um, and stepping away from our values. I think if we can talk about it more explicitly and help people to understand the language around it and how to connect to them better, that we can probably bypass a little bit of the struggle that we have, but certainly also really help us to to thrive in life. So what is a value? (laughs) Good question. Uh, Problem with the English language, isn't it? That value and values get used in so many different ways. But the way that I would frame it is pretty simply this blueprint for how we live our life. There are guiding beliefs or principles that really drive our choices, our motivation and our behaviour. So a bit like having an internal compass, our values show us the direction that we want to head in life. They don't necessarily give us the exact kind of detail of how to go about it or what to do. We've got to work that piece out ourselves, but they do point us and have us heading in the right way. So knowing and living our personal values helps us strive towards goals, 
manage challenges, tolerate discomfort, and really gives our life a sense of purpose and meaning. I love that visual of a guide. So it's not exactly the directions, but it's giving us a general gist of where we want to go. Not step by step, but just generally the direction in life. Yeah, absolutely. And and we get cues pretty quickly if we step away from that general direction. Sometimes it's a big kind of cue from the body going, oh, something's off here. Sometimes it's a bit of a slow burn, like we just feel a little bit uncomfortable in our skin over time and like, oh, something's not quite right. And, and we've drifted off course. So you know, listening to the feedback that we get from our body and mind is really key. And that's a powerful thing for listeners to consider is that our body is constantly telling us, it's giving us signs. And I don't think we have been educated into how to notice those signs. Yeah, I think that we often mistake the cues as well, because we're not like we might get the really blunt ones. Like I know when I am hungry, And even then, some people aren't very good at knowing that, like even knowing the difference between hungry and thirsty. Um, So to understand the cues that are telling me, actually, you know what, you've strayed away from your your value of integrity or your value of adventure, and maybe you need to kind of redirect. that, That can be hard to do. So when it comes to values, how are they shaped? So our values are shaped from the moment we are born, the environments that we are born into. Obviously, in those early days, family are going to be really key. And so we we often um, inherit the values that our own family of origin um, think are important and also the social and cultural worlds that we grow up in. So, you know, in my family, there's a really strong value around generosity and and hospitality for people. And I saw that in the way that my, my parents behaved and like I always feel like I have to maybe give too much or do too much or be too generous it's maybe sometimes it it sort of gets in my way it's something that's so deeply embedded from those early years of origin as we get older it's probably our peer group that really influence those values as well Um, and the the experiences that we have those key people uh, in our life that we're we, we look up to or we admire are often a reflection of the values that we stand for. So is it common for our values to change over time? Yeah, especially I think in the pre-adult years of life, we're still really working out who we are, but also at major transitions in life, moments of change. And it may be that our whole value set doesn't necessarily change, but the priority that we might give to the various aspects of our life and the values that we hold dear might change there. So I think this kind of process of checking in, I mean, it's not like they're they're changing from moment to moment, they're more trait-like than state-like, but they can alter. um, And also the expression of them, right? Because something like a value I hold dear is adventure. Um, And for me, in my younger years, adventure was expressed in big adventurous actions. And a lot of it was like that physical. So through travel, through challenging myself, through um, sport and and, um, hiking and rock climbing and those kinds of big types of adventures. Now, as I get older, adventure is probably got a smaller A attached to it. You know, at some stages, it's been just uprooting my life to come back and study 
psychology when I already had an established kind of career pathway. That was the adventure. And, and now it's little things like just getting out to a different place or trying something novel or new, which might sound very unadventurous to some people. But for me, that's still an expression of it. So yes, they change in priority, particularly at significant moments of change, whether you've gone through a normal life transition to being a parent, to maybe a job change, to retirement, um, but also traumatic moments. I think that we see that moments of trauma or hardship really help us refine and shape what matters most to us. As you're talking, Joe, I just had the visualisation of when I'm sitting at a funeral. Mm. It seems to be a time when I really just check in with what's really important, those significant stages in our life where we think, oh, hang on, what am I here for? What is my life for? Yeah, absolutely brings up this questioning of what actually really matters most. And, and we're kind of odd in the way that we relate to death in particular, but, but loss of all kinds that we, we aren't, I think, fabulous as a culture at, at exploring it or in embracing it. It's sort of behind closed doors a lot of the time. I mean, I was probably my first experience of that would have been when my grandfather died and I would have been about 10 or something and he was still living in Scotland and we were in Australia and I remember my parents telling me that this had happened and and then you just got on with it, right? Like there wasn't much more exploration than that. So yes, death is definitely a moment where it really stops us and asks us to reflect and prioritise what matters most. And usually it's connection. I, I don't know what came up. You sound like you've had a recent experience of it, but what kind of came up for you is what matters most. What always comes up for me is relationships. It's the people, it's the stories of connection. It's the people that we sometimes forget about because we almost assume that they're always going to be there and how often we can give the best of ourselves to people that probably won't be there standing at our funeral in time to come. And so it's that relationship piece that really is amplified in those moments for me. Yeah. One of my favorite activities that we do to help people explore this, um, for some people talking about death is really confronting. So we, we use a an approach which comes from the uh, acceptance and commitment therapy school of techniques, which is really asking people to explore their 80th birthday. So it's kind of that proximity to death or the end of life, but it's like, okay, here you are at your 80th birthday. Um, and if we were asking you to have your ideal 80th, let's imagine that life had gone exactly as you wanted it to. And you could celebrate in any way you wanted with the people that you wanted or not, real or imagined as well, because there might be people at your 80th that aren't born yet or might uh, technically be unlikely to be alive, but you want there, however you want it to be. So we get people to sit in that visualisation or experience and imagine this celebration and to have a few key people speak at this celebration. Like what is it that you would like to have said about you? And I think it is that kind of more an easier way to explore the same kind of experience that you might have at a funeral. Um, but at the end of life, what will you look back on and be really proud of about what you did, how you lived? Because that reflects your values right now. So it's a, it is a beautiful experience. And if you get an opportunity to, to take yourself through it, then I'd encourage you to, because it really does help you to go, ah, 
this is what actually matters the most to me. I often end up in Italy at a a beautiful vineyard setting with a big long table with music and people and animals and, you know, like a little bit of chaos, but it's about food, wine, connection, the people that I just love and adore, a lot of silliness and playing. And yeah, that to me kind of really sums up the the sweetest moments that we have in life. That is such a powerful exercise for us to all go through, to take the time and space to really think about what does a life well lived look like for me? How does it feel for me in my skin, in my body, in the way that I think? Because as we're talking, I'm noticing that for all of this, it requires reflection. It requires space to think. And that's probably not a common thing for us. We're in this state of constantly going, doing more and more and more. So how can people start to notice when they are living aligned with their values? So I think your key guide is is listening to your body, right? Are you feeling comfortable in your skin at the moment? Do you feel like you are heading in the right way? And that, that doesn't mean that you have to feel amazing, right? Because life can be tough. I've had a tough few months myself. And what I do know, though, is that I am living a mostly values aligned life. It's just it's it's tricky right now. But when you you kind of are getting that, I don't know, interactions with people that don't quite feel right, or you're getting these feedback loops that tell you something's not a little bit off. I think that that's your biggest indicator. Usually it means that somebody or something or a moment is trampling on your values in some way. And that's when you get to stop and reflect and go, okay, what in this is in my control? Sometimes stuff isn't in your control, but to look at it and go, what is it that's in my control? And can I actually steer the ship a little bit closer to the things that really matter to me? So listen to yourself, which as you said, requires self-reflection and we're not really a culture that sits a lot and reflects in a really helpful way. I think we do a lot of judging ourselves, um, but I don't think that we necessarily sit, stop, pause, reflect in a way that is constructive. And so how would we know if we are living into our values? What would we be looking out for? Unlike living out of your values where you get the discomfort cues, I think living into your values doesn't necessarily feel like, oh my God, this is amazing all the time. It will at times, but it's more a sense of, I think, contentment, satisfaction, an equanimity in the way that you're living your life, that you feel strong even in the hard moments yeah, where you, you can kind of go, right, this is difficult right now, but this is the right thing for me to be doing and I know where I'm heading. That's the feeling that we get and the, the kind of the internal conversation we might be having when we are living a values-aligned life. And I love how you're highlighting just because you know your values and are living into your values, it doesn't mean that life is then easy. The red carpet doesn't just roll out ahead of you. Nah, sorry. Sorry, people. <laughs> Uh, I'm reading a beautiful, or I've just finished reading a beautiful book by Susan Cain called Bittersweet. And uh, she is so incredible the way she writes and tells her stories. It's kind of a mixture of memoir and um, science and stories from other cultures and music. And it's just quite incredible. But, But she's really good at, I think, articulating this idea that life is both bitter and sweet. And in 
in the bitter moments and the moments of loss and struggle and hardship, it also tells us an awful lot about what we stand for in life and what really matters to us. The flip side of these dark moments is the light, yeah? Um, So when I'm experiencing loss, it's telling me that I value whoever or whatever I feel like I have lost, whether it's my freedom, whether it's a human, um, whether it's a pet, it's telling you that you were connected and that you value that connection in some way. And so when it comes to values, it sounds like it's quite a complex idea to really sit with because we may have taken on some values in our early years or in our schooling that we find over time that don't fit us. And so we've created a life based on a certain direction, certain values, but then the life that we're yearning for is a different direction. Do you notice that? Oh, absolutely. So we run a workshop through the Mind Room. We've been doing it for 10 years now. And it is essentially guiding people through this process of values clarification. And we have a beautiful values kind of card sorting task that um, we take people through as well. And the big thing for people is often this epiphany of, oh, I'm living somebody else's values. And it's often parental values, depending on your age and your connection to family, but it's often parental values. But sometimes it's cultural values as well. They're so ingrained. They're so kind of second nature to us that we haven't ever stopped to question them. Like, does this actually belong to me or am I trying to live something that belongs to somebody else? And that is why, you know, no amount of achieving my goals in this area really seems to bring me a sense of satisfaction. And it's almost like this niggling feeling that it's just not the right path, but then maybe that fear of, but I don't know another way. I don't know another path. And the older we get, maybe the more we have to lose or risk to take that new adventure. Yeah. And I think we get pragmatic way too quickly. Like this is one of the things that talk a lot about in therapy or in coaching with people is they very quickly go to solution mode before they've allowed themselves this kind of discovery, exploration, the imagining um, how life could be or what it might look like. So, so spending some time in that space, just the what ifs, what if? I didn't buy into this value or this pathway. What if I lived it differently? What would that look like? So explore before you get pragmatic. And as soon as you hear that pragmatic brain kicking in, it's just like, oh, hold it a second. I'm in discovery. I am in dreaming mode and I'm going to give myself permission to do that. Oh, that sounds exciting to give ourselves permission to have the space to just dwell on what could be, what is possible. This is the way that I've set up my life till now, but it doesn't mean I have to set my life up like that into the future. Yeah. I think one of the pieces that also gets people stuck is the conflation of values and goals. So the way we try to talk about it is your values give you that direction and they are constantly with you. You are never going to have satisfied your values, right? You're going to be living them till the day you die. But along the way, you're going to set yourself goals, goals as these kind of way markers that tell me that I'm heading in the right direction and I'm going to achieve goals, but I never finish achieving my values. An example of that might be I hold the value around growth and learning. Yeah, it's really central to my being. However, in my, well, 
can't even say earlier years because I kept on studying to well into my 40s, but it was through more formal education. So getting my clinical psychology degree, getting a whole bunch of other degrees before that, which were side ventures, but helped frame the person I am, but getting my psychology degree and then going and doing a PhD. These days, you know, my learning takes a different form and a lot of it is sort of this learning through uh, conversation with people and really listening rather than trying to jump in and share what I know, actually trying to sit back and see what I can learn from others in a deeper way, reading, going to experiences. That's my learning pathway rather than I must get a degree and degree achieved. So understanding that difference, values will always be there. I will have got my PhD done but now how do I live this value of growth and learning by setting other goals for myself? That is such a beautiful to think about. We have our values, we have our goals, and then earlier talking about the priorities that we want to focus on. So in life, we have our different priorities at different stages and how they all work together to help to create a map for our life and our future. And the beautiful thing about goals is that they can change while your values will stay relatively consistent, um, they might shift in priority, being able to be flexible with goals, because I think sometimes people hold on too tightly to them. And look, a really, and a really challenging example would be uh, having been, becoming a parent, yeah, because I think that sometimes we're holding on really tightly to this idea of becoming a parent and that's not possible for everyone. So helping those women and, and men who maybe want to understand, well, what are the values beneath starting a family that perhaps you can live out in other ways? And that might be being involved in the lives of other kids that are around you. Um, it might be this recognition that uh, it was really the legacy piece or it was the connection piece or, you know, for me it's about growing and contributing to another person's life. So, so working out what are the values that underpin it? How else can I set myself a pathway if it isn't the one that I imagined? Um, and whether it's parenting, whether it's a professional kind of goal that you had, it's how do I still live this but have the psychological flexibility to adapt and to recognise that I need to change pathways and to maybe set myself different goals? Yeah, having that psychological flexibility is such a skill that we can all do with developing. And I'm thinking about sometimes we have an idea about how a workplace should be or potentially how our family should be or how our classroom should be. But the evidence is showing us it's not like that. It's not yeah. exactly how we had planned and how we navigate those times. It's almost like you maybe had this vision for this particular school to be a certain way. And then after a few years, you're really realizing that it does not matter what you hope for, the potential of, but the reality is it is what it is. Yeah. I think control the controllable, let go of the rest. You can either accept it or you let go or you, in some circumstances, remove yourself, like leave find another environment that helps you with the same values. I mean, Meg, you're a beautiful example of this. Like you have forged a, a pathway and a career in the classroom and now you're taking a different approach. I would imagine that your core values stay the same. You're just achieving these things in different ways. Yeah, for sure. And I think that for me, 
knowing my values and defining my values a few years ago now has really helped me on that path because my path is not traditional. There's no guidebook on how to do what I'm doing. I'm making it up as I go. I'm learning as I go. I'm changing direction as I go. But what has stayed the same is my values of that courage and integrity. It's so important to me. And so when things feel hard, I think, oh, is this tapping into courage? Yes. Is this tapping into (laughs) integrity? Yes. I'm like, oh gosh. Ah, I wish I had other values at this point in time. I wish my values were more like fun and ease, but they're not. (laughs) And so sometimes my values annoy me, but they're always there directing me where I need to go. And they will help you through the hard stuff. Yeah. And you can see it in the, you know, we've got more complex ideas about how people uh, set goals, create habits, create routines. And I think a really core piece of it is helping them connect the behavior to their values, because you are much more likely to stick with things, even when it's hard, when you have your why. And I mean, if you want another definition of what's your values, your values are your why. Why do I do this? Why do I want to live life this way? It's my values. These are my guiding principles. This is my blueprint. This is my why. And it becomes almost like a criteria to make decisions. So for example, if you've got a teacher looking at two schools that do pretty similar things, but then looking at their values and how each school allows them to live into their values or not. Yes, absolutely. Values and decision-making, really key, which is we find ourselves doing a lot of work in in corporate settings where this is exactly the challenge that people are being faced by. And so bringing them back to principles around or knowing what your organisational values are and making choices based on that. I think also the challenge is how do you integrate people's personal values with workplace values, uh, which is a whole other conversation. Let's stick with (laughs) the personal ones, way easier. But yeah, how do you actually help people to come back to and and have a decision-making process that is based on which of my values are going to be best met by this decision? And knowing that when we make those decisions, that may not align them with other people's values and that sometimes causes some friction. Yes, absolutely. It's also like it's interesting in relationships how you kind of go into it going, oh, my God, this person, we're so values aligned. This is amazing. And then you have this kind of conflict or difficulty. And it's usually because the expression of the values takes a different form. And you see it in the, the, the kind of the love languages idea of, well, we're both trying to express love, but you do it by verbal affirmation and I do it by making you cups of tea or doing the DIY stuff around the house. So I think when you can get back to a values conversation rather than a what you're doing, I think you get deeper and you also understand, oh, we are actually more similar than dissimilar. We just express this differently and we're going to have to recognize there isn't one right way. Yes, there is not one right way that we all express and live into our values in ways that are deeply unique to us. I mean, let's look at, like, I love looking at other people for this example. Now, I want you to think of the value of power, and I'm going to give you a couple of names who I think reflect that value, and notice how they perhaps do it differently. So power, Michelle Obama, yeah, Darth Vader, yeah. Donald Trump, Maya Angelou, it's still power. There's a, like one of their values will be power or influence or something. 
but they express it in such different ways. So the value isn't, I think, the problem. I think it's sometimes the way we go about expressing it. That is such an interesting way to look at it. And as you were saying, each of those people, I had a physical response to them and their power. Say, for example, Michelle Obama, when you said her name, I was like a lean into that power, like it was a magnetic yes, please. And then others like, oh, no, that's a scary power. I don't want to be near there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's kind of a chaotic use of it, right? Yeah. Or, yeah, it's a use of it for things that I guess we also don't necessarily value. Michelle Obama talks about this overtly. She talks about the idea of holding fast to her beliefs and her values, following her own moral compass and that they're the expectations that she needs to live up to her own her own values and meeting those so yeah there's there's people out there I think looking to the people closer to you as well is really important like if I asked you Meg to think about somebody that you know that you admire appreciate it might be family it might be friend it might be a mentor of some kind have you got somebody in mind there Oh, my parents, my mum and my dad. Okay. And then if I asked you, well, what do you think they stand for? What are their values? Again, another activity we take people through is articulating what they see other people standing for. You pick mum or dad, or maybe there's some shared values that they both have. Well, it's interesting because they've got a shared value of relationships and family, but the way that they express that value is very different. Right. And if we, let's, let's go with um, dad. So what's a value that you see as unique to your dad? Like non-judgmental, someone that will embrace the person in front of them, regardless of status, job, regardless, welcoming, non-judgment and embracing of all types. Okay. So there's sort of an open, accepting, curious, non-judging. And when you see him act in ways that are congruent with that value? What do you see? What is it that he does? Makes people feel at ease, makes people feel safe and seen and heard. Right. Yeah. This is also a fabulous framework. If you need to um, write a speech for a significant moment or just you want to share and connect with someone in your life, telling them what you see as their values and and how they, they live that. I think is so powerful. It really is. It's it's a total gift. So often the people we admire or appreciate, whether we know them or whether they're famous people out there in the world, they often will reflect values that we also hold dear. And so that sometimes can be an easier place to start is thinking about, well, who do I admire? I may not be able to necessarily have their influence or their their um, resources or or whatever it may be, but I can actually live the same values as them. Do you find yourself trying to do the same thing as your dad, like to hold that space for people? Well, I think it has been a part of who I am because it's a part of what I've seen in both my father and my mother, very welcoming, making people feel safe, feeling heard and understood. And so I feel like that's something that I've taken on as part of that family story. Mm -hmm. And you will probably pass that down to the next generation as well without them even realizing and then it'll be really weird for them when they go into you know they meet their own partners and they go into their family dynamic and go what 
everybody doesn't do this? What? This is a choice? (laughs) Well, I think that's why I struggled initially with teaching because I had the role modeling of connection and relationship. It doesn't mean that we get on all the time. We worked through things. We problem solved things. And then when I became a teacher, I realized that not every family was like that. Not every family had that openness or that compassion or that benefit of the doubt, that there was families that were quite harsh and critical and judgmental. And that was a challenge for me to navigate because it was so foreign when I saw parents putting pressure on their children. I was like, oh, this is different. I've never experienced this before. Okay. Remember you were asking me earlier about what's the moment where you notice you're either being pulled out of your values in some way or your values are being challenged. That moments of discomfort, that was it. Um, And to be able to recognise that and reckon, gosh, your blueprint is your blueprint, but it's not everybody's. And what if I could understand other people's blueprint as well? Maybe we would find a way to connect a little easier. So I think it's helpful first for us but also helpful for understanding. And we also see the research around this in terms of social trust and bonding. When we can see similarity in values, it helps us to trust others better and to connect a little easier. And it gives us an invitation to really step back from our behaviour and the behaviour of the people we live with and work with to see where is that coming from. It may be coming from that same value, but it's coming out in a very different way. So one teacher may like to over-prepare all the graduation or all the things and have all the detail, where another teacher is like, don't worry about it. I just want to be there. I want to be present. And But it's coming from the same place, but it's manifesting in different ways. Absolutely. I think also we get this interaction between our values as well. So one of the issues that we find for people is when they first kind of come in and we look at values and we ask them to identify maybe what are the most important. So we're not saying that they're not important values. We're just saying which ones really, really matter. We use a deck of, you know, 50 values to help people narrow it down. And they want to put out of the 55, they want to put 50 into the very important to me group. And it's just like, oh, (laughs) Yeah, that must be really hard for you, living life being pulled and bossed around by all of these values because it's really going to be really hard to meet them. So we start that process of going, okay, you don't have to let go of these other ones, but if you were going to lead from a place of your absolute core values, what would they be? And then recognising that, say, I have acceptance and, and mastery and, I don't know, status as three of my core values, how do they work together, right? How do I express them? When do I maybe want to lean on one more than the other? Um, And it might vary from life domain to life domain, like what your values expression looks like in your home life might look different to your work life. I would hope not drastically. I think the behaviours modify, but you know, most people, their values will be consistent across these environments, just the expectation around how, what behaviours express it might look a little bit different. And I absolutely love your cards. I've got your cards sitting here on my desk and I've got my very important to me. It's always just underneath my computer and my little card of integrity and I've got persistence and hope. And it's so beautiful to bring our awareness to this. And I love that your cards show a whole range of possibilities. As you said, 
all of the 50 sound pretty good as you're flicking through like, oh yeah, I like a little bit of that. And I like a little bit of that, but taking the time to really narrow down to what deeply resonates with us. Also putting your own words to it. Like we treat those cards as kind of prompts or cue cards, but getting people to go the next level of, look, this is how we've expressed it. We've drawn these ideas from the theory and the literature and from experience of using them. But you've got to write your own words that are meaningful for you or your own ways of expressing it. So we try to help people to do that. And also looking at, you know, sometimes they pull out so many values, but you go, oh, look, see there's a little cluster here. See this kind of joy, kindness, fun. Maybe these belong together and we can give them a name and you might pick one of those names or you might have another term or language or you might have language from other cultures is often really helpful because we don't quite have the English word to express what we're talking about. Or for the visual person, maybe actually it's an image that you want to use as your values guide. So trying to be creative and tailor and help people to really own these so that they are meaningful for them and so they remember to refer to them because you can do this process and then just go about life as normal it's it's really helpful if you actually can talk to them and you know things like having the visual guide right by your desk there is great yeah oh it's absolutely because when i things get tough i look at that integrity card and think oh gosh okay here here's my invitation (laughs) (laughs) this is my invitation to walk the talk to move through discomfort, this is this is life and this is how I can lean into that courage and persistence. Like This is it. These are the moments of living an aligned life. It's not generally the up ones, it's those tough ones where you have to make that call that only we can make. Mm-hmm. I think it also, you know, it helps you through the hard stuff but it also helps you create the really beautiful moments as well. I have a couple of those, like my 50th birthday, I just adored because I feel like it reflected all of my values in one place. It was at the Spiegel tent in Melbourne. It was a sideshow circus theme. Everyone got dressed up. It was music. It was goofy family stuff. It was art and it was, yeah, it was just amazing. And I just feel like, yeah, that was so incredible because it does absolutely reflect who I want to be in the world. Um, Now, I can't do that every day, every 50 years, it seems you can. Um, (laughs) But yeah, there's also the small moments where you just go, yeah, this is me. This This is who I am in the world. And I'm so excited to share it with the people that matter. And so it sounds like it's almost an adventure of getting to know ourselves as we grow up. We have this idea of what life should be, how we should be. And then over time, peeling back those layers and finding out what deeply moves us forward in a way that lights us up. Not saying it's going to be easy, yeah. but it's going to be worth the effort. Yeah. Yeah. You know your why, remember? It's like, this is why I'll do this. Joe, to wrap up this incredible conversation, I'd love to invite you to finish four sentences. Are you up for that? Yep, absolutely. Hit me. I am inspired by... Well, at the moment, I already mentioned it, Bittersweet by Susan Cain. It is just such beautiful writing, but also an integration of many, many, many of the ideas that I guess we try to put into practice through the mind room as well. He's doing it in a very eloquent way. So Bittersweet, Susan Cain. When life feels hard? Oh, first of all, pause, take a moment, acknowledge the hard 
and then reconnect with your values. They'll guide you through. An underrated skill is? I think sitting with discomfort, sitting with pain, suffering, loss and discomfort is a really underrated skill, but it's one that we're going to need because life throws it at us. And I'm looking forward to? Well, I am definitely looking forward to um, the Mind Room's 10th birthday uh, in early December and I'm heading back over to Melbourne to be there with the crew. It's been a really challenging few years, probably the hardest that we've had in business and so just to take a moment to celebrate the highs, the lows and be with that community, that's, that's the thing that I'm looking forward to. Thank you, Joe, for being a guest on the School of Wellbeing podcast and helping us to define and live into our values, such meaningful work. Thank you, Meg, for giving a platform and a voice for a lot of really important conversations. I hope this conversation has inspired you to set some time aside to discover or redefine your values and what it looks like when you are and are not living into them. To learn more about Jo and her incredible work at The Mind Room, visit themindroom.com.au. There you will find a library of helpful resources. You can purchase your own set of The Mind Room values cards and explore the wonderful range of in-person and online workshops The Mind Room has to offer. If you love this episode, please share it with anyone you think would benefit from hearing Joe's wisdom about the importance of living a values-aligned life. To learn how I can help you and your school community thrive, visit the website openmindeducation.com. There you can book me to speak at your next professional development day or learn more about Energy by Design, my game-changing wellbeing program for educators. You can find all the links from today's episode at openmindeducation.com forward slash episode 65. Thank you for listening to this episode of the School of Wellbeing and I look forward to sharing more heartfelt conversations with you next week.